Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bless You Boys Podcast 126, recorded August 29th, 2014. Starting pitcher, bingo. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Swing and a miss! One more time to party! Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast, where the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball and whatever else happens to be on our minds when it comes to uh, America's pastime. Uh, and I'm not talking about football, even though football is getting ready to start. Uh, regardless of all that, let's get some introductions out of the way. I am, of course, your host, Al Beaton, co-managing editor of Bless You Boys. Joining me every week is my co-host. He's... Uh, uh, I like to call him the king of West Michigan. He's also kind of the resident humorist. Uh, let's call him the, uh, he kind of likes to shake things up at Bless You Boys, and that is the man you know as Hookslide. How's things? Things are going just great. Uh, you know, collecting a lot of animated GIFs for the site mm-hmm. and, you know, buying videos and that kind of thing. That's, that's what passes for humor these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fresh out of jokes for the season. so Yeah, no kidding. I think we're all like, all right, let's just start winning again so we can start being it's, – it's a lot easier to be funny when the team's playing really good baseball. I'll say, this I'll, is true. And they're playing – well, they're treading water, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. Uh couple things about the podcast. You want to contact us with thoughts and questions, of course, bybtigers at gmail.com. At Bless You Boys on Twitter. Earl's One Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. There's also the bybpodcast at gmail.com email. Uh, when it comes to the social media, just search for Bless You Boys on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, like us, follow us, and we do try to be try to be entertaining on both of those. So please, uh, we would appreciate it. If you're not already following us on the social media networks, do so. All right, uh, Hookslide, we have a, another big-time guest. You know, you keep surprising me with uh, all these big names you were bringing in here in Tigerdom. Hey, we're just we're climbing the ladder, you yes. know, little bit by little bit. So. <laughs> no insult to Chris Hyatt. So. No, not that, at all. Yeah. But, so, yeah, yeah. today uh, we're going to go up from the uh, local beat writers to a more national-level beat writer. And today we have with us uh, Jason Beck, who is uh, the Tigers beat reporter for MLB.com. Jason, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, how are you? Hey, we're doing all right. Thanks for uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, yeah, anytime. So thanks for having me. Oh, uh, watch what you say. We may actually take you up on all that. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Obviously, uh, Jason is the beat writer for um, MLB.com for the Tigers. Uh, if you want to read his blog, obviously the place to go is Beck's blog. It's Beck.MLBblogs.com. He's also on Twitter. That would be at BeckJason. But I, the main reason we want to talk to Jason is obviously we want to get his take on obviously the Tigers. But we also want to get kind of a feeling from Jason as to Obviously, his job is a little bit different than, say, we talked to Chris Hyatt last week, who writes for uh, MLive.com Booth Newspapers. So I guess the first question we want to ask you, Jason, uh, how does working for for MLB differ, if at all, than it would, say, if you were writing for one of the local newspapers or, say, the AP? Um, well, I get a backpack with a cool logo on it. <laughs> um, you know, I... Uh, 
you know, I got a hat that looks pretty cool. You know, it, mm -hmm. it helped out a lot during the summer. Uh, I got some T-shirts from All-Star Games. I had a uh, duffel bag that was, uh, man, I miss that duffel bag. Mm. It, uh, it got tore up. But, uh, it was a great check on that. Um, but no, it's, you know, I guess in some ways it's hard for me to tell because I've been mm -hmm. doing this for, for so long, you know, right. this particular job. But I'm, you know, really, it, it's pretty similar. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know we, we all end up you know, getting up and, and doing much the same thing. I, I think, you know, maybe we're a little bit more similar to, uh, to MLive in that we're online focused. Right. Um, you know, not that MLive does have a print end, because they do, mm -hmm. but, you know, obviously with what they've done the last few years, I, I think they've kind of taken an online focus as well. Um, you know, I, I look for information, you know, I'm trying to find stories. I think, um, they're trying to get the, uh, you know, Chad Paul's info was a, was a pretty good example. Mm -hmm. You know, not easy, but you have to go around. Um, you know, there, there's no special hotline or anything like that. Um, yeah. that's, you know, the, I guess the, that's the, the sources question. I build are, are mm -hmm. the sources, you know, I, I've had to, to build over years, really. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the question right there, because uh, you said you have to put in the same legwork as pretty much any other reporter. You don't get uh, special access just because you're with Major League Baseball. No, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, it's it's you know pretty much we're all kind of grouped into the uh, same trough there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it seems like you know, especially here. Hey, Jason, I just I wanted to throw in a quick question there because you mentioned having to kind of build up sources. Um, and I, that's one aspect of the job that seems like it would be particularly difficult, or maybe not. Maybe you can answer that question. How long does it take, uh, you know, to kind of build up those sources and how necessary is that during, you know, say the off season, during the trade deadline? You know, can you survive without having some inside sources? Um, yeah. It took some time, and I think that that's one area where being in a particular job that I'm in, it took time to kind of gain some respect because I, I think people saw, you know, the, the the main name, you know, in the organization, and there was some skepticism there. I think it took it took a while to, to get, you know, certainly. You know, people on the, on the agent side, and uh, you know, maybe in, in some cases on the player side, you know, to, to kind of earn their trust. Um, you know, really, th th there wasn't much substitute for uh, you know just you know getting your stuff out there and letting people judge judge you on, on what you write. Um, for for me, it's vital. Um, it's I, I think I learned early on. You know, given my job where it's a baseball-only site, and we have to have news during the off-season and a fairly regular schedule of it at that. You know, it's hard to get that type of, of budget done over the course of a winter without having some sort of network to be able to go to and be able to find news and be able to confirm it and, and, and to be able to uh, you know, kind of get stuff out there and kind of get thought processes going among fans. Um, yeah, I think it's changed a little bit in recent years in that, you know, you can get some stuff done through aggregation and through seconding, um, you know, stuff that's already out there. I, I think that's one aspect of the business, you know, certainly the online end. That's probably changed in you know let's say the last five you know five or six years or so, but I still think you know for for a lot of us that network those sources at least having somebody to bounce ideas off of is, is pretty vital. All right, and I guess that kind of leads to um, a, a quite the question. Uh, when it comes to dealing with uh, the organization and the players themselves. Uh, I guess the example of that would be, uh, we seem to have gotten two different answers about the same subject when it comes to Anibal Sanchez's uh, injury. Anibal Sanchez essentially said he's afraid he's done for the season, he's not sure if he's going to be able to come back, while the Tigers are saying he could be back before the end of the regular season. Uh, do you find that happens very often, that you might get more unfiltered information from the players themselves than you would from the organization? I think it, it seems like the last few years, you know, maybe not the last few, but maybe the last one or two, it's been 
a, a more common occurrence. And maybe that's just because of the nature of the injuries that have popped up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think I think Jose Iglesias was, was a classic example. Yeah. No, I don't, you know, I, I think that the time where it really hit that this was going to be a season-ending injury and that there were stress fractures was, you know, it, it took Iglesias to say it himself. And even after that, you know, even that day mm-hmm. you know, when he said it to, you know, myself, and I think John Lowe was there, and I think Lynn Henning got in on there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think James Schmell might have been there that day as well. Even after, you know, that was out and Jose himself had said it, you know, it, it took, you know, the, the team wasn't commenting until, uh, I think, later on in the week. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they were waiting until he got a second opinion from the uh, specialist in Colorado. I can't remember his name now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those areas that, that's very tricky, and I, I think it's it's usually more tricky when it comes to a pitcher, right? You know, just because of how tricky those injuries are, and um, just kind of what you're looking for. But but I think you know, there's been buzz on the Glaties and the severity of that injury, mm-hmm. you know, even before Jose right. said something, and you know, th- you were really kind of hearing mixed messages depending on uh, you know where it was coming from and some of it might have been out of abundance of caution some of it might have just been you know whose doctors you know you were listening to yeah but yeah i think yeah i think it does happen now and i think it's it's something that uh you know in our business you kind of have to be uh you know careful about to to kind of uh you you at least have to acknowledge both sides and kind of get the Mm-hmm. The real possibility that uh, you know these might be more severe. Yeah, uh, it, and we're, getting, we're I guess we're kind of getting that with the Joaquin Soria stuff too, because uh, there's barely been a peep about his status as well. So uh, let me just ask you: if you were a, a betting man, and you know, if you're uh, uh, educated opinion, do you think we'll see Sanchez and or Soria anytime in the next four weeks? I think the chances are better on Soria than Sanchez. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Soria is still throwing. I think he's supposed to throw again today mm-hmm. um, off flat ground. And if that goes well, then there should be a mound session coming up either this weekend or early next week. And if he can get a few mound sessions under him, you know, he should be able to come back after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Sanchez, you know, the fact that he talked about you know, the other day how it felt like day one, Mm-hmm. of the rehab assignment and basically starting over. That's a little worrisome, um, you know, because it took him, what, two and a half, close to three weeks just to get to get back to that point. Yeah. Where, you know, right before, you know, he, uh, you know, he had the setback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you add that up, then you're talking about, you know, mid-September with maybe, you know, a week or two to go. And keep in mind, when he, when he did it, he wasn't even thrown off the mound. So, right. you know, there's going to be a process where he's got to you know, progress even after he gets back to where he was. Um, you know, it, it's possible. You know, it, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, not knowing the player for as long, you know, as I've known some of the other guys like Scherzer and Verlander, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, you know, it's really hard to judge, you know, the, how well the you know, how cautiously the player has to proceed on this one, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I think it's a real risk that uh, you know he's not going to be ready for you know you know maybe for the uh, final couple weeks, and if he is, you know how cautious are you going to have to be with him? Right. You know what type of pitch count is he going to be on because he's obviously not going to be able to uh, you know get a minor league rehab start in. You're going to have to simulate something to, to get his arm stretched out and. You know, no matter what guys say, and while some guys react differently than others, you know, you, it's hard to simulate that game action in simulated games. I've, I've seen it over the years, and it's just, you know, it's a, a veteran can kind of fake it, mm-hmm. but, you know, depending on the injury, you know, if, if they're talking about an injury that might be put more at risk by, you know, intensity, then you know, you have to proceed cautiously with stuff like that. And it's hard to simulate those game conditions in a sim game when you got you know, nobody around you, no crowd in the stands, and, you know, you got a, a cage, you know, in front, mm-hmm. you know, behind you, you got a hitter. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I think fans tend to forget or don't even realize that the minor league season is pretty much almost it, it ends in the next week or so. So a lot of these players who need to rehab are not going to be able to do so at the AA or AAA level. I take it that's one of the reasons why, uh, for example, Andy Dirks is not expected to come back this year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one reason. I, I think just, uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, when, when the hamstring acted up again, I mm-hmm. think they figured this wasn't an injury that, that was going to improve significantly mm-hmm. with Tom. And when you combine the hamstring injury with the fact that this is the guy coming off major back surgery, the possibility of one complicating the other and the guy trying to compensate for one and maybe aggravating the other, it just, there were so many things that could go wrong there. I, I just think, you know, the, mm-hmm. the odds of him getting back were just so low. It's just, yeah. you know, they just decided, why mess around with it and put next year risk for the guy? Yeah, I hate to harp on injuries. That really seems to be the story of the Tigers' second half. And the other big one that seems to be hovering over the team is Miguel Cabrera's ankle. Uh, there was some talk that that may have played just as much to sap his power as his recovery from core muscle surgery. So is, is the ankle injury bad enough to where it may affect his play for the remainder of this year? I think it could. Um, you know, how much it affects his power? It's a great question. It's not something I really know a whole lot of history about. You mm-hmm. know, with it's on slugger. I mean, he does put a lot of weight on it, clearly. And so, you know, anytime they're talking about you know the support system in the, in the legs, you gotta you gotta wonder about that. But um, yeah, I, I think the, the fact that it's gone on as long as it has, and he's been. You know, clearly limited in his movements for mm-hmm. as long as he has, granted to, to differing degrees depending on you know what day or what week. Um, yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to assume that it's going to hobble him to some extent for, for the rest of the year, and he's just going to have to fight through it. Um, yeah, but the longer we go on, I think realistically you have to think the potential of him having a big home run outburst over these mm-hmm. final weeks, just, it, it seems like a long shot. And I think you have to accept what you're going to get out of him, which ideally at this point is going to be high batting average, key hits, run production, but not a ton of power outside of doubles. Now, yeah. granted, he's hitting a mm-hmm. ton of doubles. But, yeah. you know, quietly, he's got a chance to at a 50-double season, which seems you know ridiculous. But, you know, that home run power, yeah, I just, I, you know, at least for this year, I, I just, I don't think you can count on it. Yeah, it's it's really starting to look like that. I have a feeling the real Miguel Cabrera, and for that, probably that matter, the real Justin Verlander, we may not see them till uh, 2015, where they actually have a, a full off season where they can go back to preparing how they're used to. I, uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I really get the feeling that they're not be having a normal off season to do what they need to do to get ready for the coming season, obviously being derailed by surgery has affected them pretty much the entire season. Yeah, I think so. I think for one, I think, you know, we're, we're realizing the difference between the guy coming back from surgery and being able to, to play fully mm-hmm. and being back to normal. Right. And I think that the differing timetable on one versus the other you know, looks huge now in hindsight. And I think, you know, this is something, you know, I, I think a lot of people around baseball are going to have to keep in mind, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's, you know, with guys who have this. And it's certainly not, you know, just them. Other guys have had to deal with it themselves. Um, I think also in Verlander's case, the fact that he wasn't able to do his normal off-season conditioning mm-hmm. had a huge effect on him because this is a guy who put so much pride in almost a, you know, an obsessive compulsive factor in his off-season regimen that when you take that away from him, you know, it, it's almost like he's improvising once he starts to spread training. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. have the same base, I, I think, health-wise. And I think to some degree Cabrera, too. I mean, you know, Cabrera's a guy, you know, you don't hear as much about his off-season training, but... You know, he's got a personal trainer down in Miami. He does a ton of work. You know, Alex Avila has trained with him off and on over the years and says, you know, this guy works out a ton. And when you take away 
outcome of what you're able to do in the off season because you're recovering from surgery. Yeah, I mean that that removes from you know not only takes you longer to get back to where you want, but but I think it also has an effect on how you feel down the stretch because you don't necessarily have that strong core built up. You don't have that mm-hmm. base that you're used to built up. So so yeah, I think you know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what these guys look like with a uh, you know, with a full off season right. to uh, to do their normal uh, you know training program. Yeah, well, obviously the one team that has taken advantage of the Tigers' struggles have been the Kansas City Royals, who are really playing uh, ridiculously well. And obviously, I really don't see how they continue to play this. But right now, they're playing I think seven thirty ball in August. Uh, is is this going to come down the uh, the, the race for the Central, is it going to come down to those six games the two teams play in September? I think so. I, I think um, yeah, this is going to be it, – it's a big test for both squads. But, yeah, I think you, the, the one realistic chance you have to make ground on the Royals if you're the Tigers is in head-to-head matchups. That, that's mm-hmm. the one time that you're not having to rely on, you know, Glenn Perkins getting a guy out in the ninth or, you know, somebody else in the Central – Helping your cause, um, you know, you can you can make up a difference. And mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the track record this season, you would you would be encouraged by you know for the Tigers' chances. But you never know. Um, right. you know I think that series of Detroit's going to be particularly challenging, mm-hmm. really on both sides. And, and, and some of that's going to come down to which team can bounce back better. Because on the one hand, you're going to have the Royals coming in from. Uh, Gosh, I can't remember. Can't remember where they're going to be coming in from New York, mm-hmm. or, or, or I think they might have a weekend series in New York before they go to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the Tigers have that Sunday night game against the Giants. Both these teams are going to have to bounce back quickly and have a late afternoon game because of the, you know, schedule with the Monday night football contest coming up that you know that night across the street. Mm-hmm. That to me, that's a fascinating factor into this game because. So you're, you're going to have one team have the bounce back from night game, night game to day game right. in a situation where they're not usually having to do that. And then another situation, you're going to have to have the team that's, that's flying in from, from the East Coast and having to do a similar uh, bounce back. So, you know, we, which team can do that better? For, for the Tigers, it comes in, in, a, in the midst of a grueling stretch with those 24 games in 23 mm-hmm. days. So... If you look at that, you would think that the job would be tougher for them. But then again, they're not getting on a plane. Yeah, exactly. Uh, are you, uh, if you if you if we ask you for a prediction, uh, do you think both teams make the playoffs? Is it just going to be the Tigers or the Royals? Uh, how do you think this uh, this year is going to end, at least the regular season? I think unless the, the three teams in AL West just beat the crap out of each other for the mm-hmm. next four or five weeks. I think realistically you have to approach this thinking that one team out of the Central is going to make it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the safest approach. Now, granted, crazy things can happen, um, but it, you know, just when you look at what's going on there, and I think I think the Mariners are a really good team. I, I really do. I, I think what they have pitching-wise and what they've built up, gives them a, a nice cushion, and they can not only play a spoiler in the AL West race down the stretch, I think they can also really help their own cause. And when you have a team like that with that motivation, I think it's huge. And, you know, while the Tigers were royal, you know, while the second-place team certainly could have a good enough record, I, I just think neither team seems particularly motivated right. by a wild card chase at this point. Mm-hmm. The, yes. the, the team I cover does mm-hmm. not seem to, to really even want to talk about the wild card. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're talking to Jason Beck, a writer for MLB.com, and we really appreciate you taking the time. But we got to ask you about the Twitter, because uh, we kind of asked uh, Chris Iad about how he's become known as the weather guy. You've become kind of known as the obscure jersey guy, <laughs> and uh, you t- you make a habit of tweeting some of the oddball jerseys you've seen over the years. So how did you get started with that little thing on Twitter, and do you have any obscure favorites? Um, you know, it's, I was trying to think back on this the other night, and I can't remember 
how it got started. I remember seeing somebody else talking about it on Twitter, and I think it might have been in the early days, like right after I I got onto it, which which I think was like spring training of '09, I think. And, and you know, if you've been on the Lakeland, I'm sure you have. You see a ton of these these jerseys at, at every mm-hmm. spring training. I mean, yeah. this is basically spring break for a lot of people. Um, and so you, you know, just you pick out some. I've always, and beyond that though, I've always kind of been fascinated with jerseys. You know, I, I had some growing up. I always thought it was cool. Um, it, you know, when you when you go to when you're a big sports fan and you know you're in high school and you're in college and you know, you're always thinking about you know, those casual days when you really don't want to throw anything dressy on. And so you just throw a jersey on just to kind of look, you know, odd or unique or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's always kind of, it's fascinating. I think the throwback jersey, you know, factor is kind of a, a cool thing. I think given the history that the Tigers have yeah. and given the appreciation that the Tigers fans have for that history, I think that makes it all all the more fascinating. You know, if I covered, Gosh, and what team can I say without sending you know, If I covered like the Marlins yeah. or, or the Rays, although I've seen some cool Rays jerseys too, mm-hmm. or you know, or you know, the Padres or something, I don't think it would be quite as cool as it is covering a team like this that that, that just has so much tradition behind it. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything you'd like to add, Hook Slide, before we let Jason get back to doing his job? Uh, boy, let's see. Um, I had one question for you, Jason. You've obviously seen a lot of Major League ballparks in your time. Real quickly, tell us what's your favorite ballpark outside of Comerica and why? Um, I'd say PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, for one, I'm partial because I, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I, you know, I grew up a Pirates fan. I, I went to games at Three Rivers, which was, you know, bland and you know, just kind of like blocky, I guess. Not blocky, but, you know, just basically a, you know, a, a round concrete, you know, slab, basically. And so to, to see the city shown off the way it is there, to me, is tremendous. I think it's got the best view in baseball. I, I think now that that team's actually good, it's finally getting some long overdue consideration for how good of a park it's got. Um, I like Safeco Field. I, I like the feeling of... You know, a, a stadium with a roof that even when the roof is over the field, it's still got the feel of an outdoor stadium just because it doesn't have those outfield windows and you still get the airflow coming in and you kind of still feel that, that crisp northwest air in April and in May and in some cases early June. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always liked that field. I, I love Seattle as a city too and I think you know, I'm hoping that, you know, the fact that the Mariners are good again, you know, kind of uh, put some spotlight on that park as well. And, you know, and obviously, you know, a lot of writers will tell you the AT&T Park in San Fran is really cool as well. Um, but to me, a nice sleeper pick is Target Field. I think, you know, I, I think that place, I was skeptical when it went up because I wasn't sure how an outdoor stadium would work in Minneapolis. And even right. with some weather concerns, it's worked, you know, infinitesimally better than, than I thought. All right. Well, uh, Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, spend a few minutes with us today. Again, if the listeners want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you again? Uh, I am at Beck Jason on Twitter, so uh, they'll be able to uh, find me there. All right, and always go there for your obscure jersey needs. So uh, once again, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon. Great. I'm glad we, we finally had a chance to do this. Thanks for awesome. having me on. All right. Thank you, Jason. All right, Hookside, that was fun. Hey, you said it. Beat writer bingo, you know. Yeah. So we'll just, we should pass out cards for our listeners. You know, they can kind of, uh, you know, cross those those uh, beat writers off the list as they go. We'll see who gets to the bingo first. Yeah, maybe they'll be start, start fighting to be on the podcast. That's, so. that's right. <laughs> Good but, stuff. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I'm sure there are some people out there that may have thought maybe he had special insider access because uh, Jason works for uh, you know Major League Baseball. But it's obvious that he's just like any other reporter out there. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like you said, with so much of the the, the movement away from you know print now yeah. to you know to the internet, that you. you I, have to imagine it's like you said it's very going to be very much the same whether you're writing for mlb.com or mlive.com so yeah but uh, yeah i think we'll have to bring on at least one more beat writer before the season's over and get their get their take yeah. on it too <laughs> <laughs> all right uh with it uh, great well, for interview out of the way let's start talking a little bit of well let's get our opinion on the tigers and obviously we covered a little bit of it when we we're talking with jason but uh the tigers are trading water right now uh, month of August, well, actually, for the past two months, uh, Hookside, the Tigers have literally been treading water. They played 500 ball. Uh, they were 13 and 13 in July, 14 and 13 as we stand as we record this podcast in August. Uh, meanwhile, the Royals have been, uh, I, I didn't realize this till I did, was doing a research, but they have been up and down all season. Uh, they played 560 ball to start the season in April. Then they play, it was 414, 630. Down to 488, and now they're playing a ridiculous 731. There was almost 800 until they lost last night, so to move the Tigers back to within a game and a half of first place. But uh, when, when I, you know, and that's the interesting part to me, Hooks, is that when you when you're honest about it, considering just how ridiculously hot the Royals have been. And how badly banged up the Tigers are. I mean, we just we, a vast majority of our talk with Jason was about the Tigers' injuries. It really feels as if the Royals should be disappointed. They only have a one and a half game lead right now. Yeah, right. And uh, Kurt were here. He would say that you know maybe the Tigers aren't as bad as we think they are, and the Royals aren't as good as we as we think they are. Yeah, exactly. But I, I have that same feeling. It just feels like the Royals are winning every single game they play, and they should be about you know. 28 games ahead, um, but they're not. Um, and I think, like you said, it's because it's been a very ping-pongy kind of up-and-down uh, stretch for the last couple of months where the Tigers, yeah, would like them to play a little bit better, but at least they're they're averaging around 500, yeah. you know, for June, July, and August. And But the funny thing is, like you, you pointed out, they went exactly 500 in July. They're just mm-hmm. a, a game over in August, and yet – the fact still remains that since the all-star break they they have not played 500 ball yet yeah since that since that break they're currently mm-hmm. i think 19 and 22 yeah so they're, they're still struggling just to break even since the break yeah and it's uh and it's frustrating as hell but i think uh the injuries i if you ask me i i people this is what's kind of getting me kind of we're, i'm guys i'm kind of bouncing around on the um, on our outline here is that People are expecting the Tigers to easily overcome what is really a huge injury list with a vast, with a lot of primetime players on it. Uh, I mean, come on, there, there's some writers out there. I think Tony Paul, for one, a hook side, who is giving the Tigers a lot of grief for not having enough pitching to make up for losing Annabelle Sanchez. And Justin Verlander. But then factor in, they've also lost Joaquin Soria. They've also lost Bruce Rondon. They've also lost Luke Pukkonen. Uh, how many teams would be able to easily overcome that kind of injury? I mean, to that many, yeah, yeah, to I that don't many know players. I'm not even sure how you do that. I know some yeah. teams, you know, that you look at it from a, a distance and say, wow, they just seem to have continual depth. You know, like the Royals, we, we know they have a, one of the best bullpens in baseball. So it's, it feels like they could afford to lose a couple of guys and still be, you know, mm-hmm. really good. Uh, o- Oakland seems to have that same, you know, that same kind of depth. Um, but, I, you know, with, with the shaky bullpen as it was, um, yeah, like you said, I don't know how you bounce back from losing that many. You know, you mentioned Rondon, Soria now, Pekonen. Uh You take out uh, Justin Verlander because I know he's still playing, but he's still not quite back to where he yeah, should be. Yeah, he's not what he is. He's not what we thought he, he, what he right. should be. Uh, well, here's the list. I mean, I, I couldn't believe when I actually sat down to figure this out last night. Uh, here, here it is. Set up, man. Bruce Rondon had a season-ending injury before the season even started. Joaquin Soria... No one's saying how long, but it's not looking good for a return real soon. He may end up missing about a month. Right. Long reliever. The Tigers have been scrambling because of the Luke Pukkonen injury. He's been out for three months. He might be back in September, but who knows how good he's going to be. I mean, that injury, that's another injury, I think, that really threw 
the bullpen into disarray because it threw guys into long relief that shouldn't have been. Their starting left fielder, Andy Dirks, season injury, as, as Jason said, does not look like he's going to come back at all. Your starting shortstop, Jose Iglesias, season-ending injury. Obviously, you lose your ALEA ERA leader in 2013, Annabelle Sanchez. Looks like it might be a season-ending injury. He's been injured twice. When it's all said and done, he's going to have missed about six to, six to seven weeks of the season. Wow. Wow. Uh, then you're talking Justin Verlander. He missed two weeks, and it's doubtful he's been 100% at any time this year. And, of course, Miguel Cabrera, the two-time reigning MVP, between his offseason surgery and bum ankle, the guy has become a singles hitter. Yeah, you want, you want to hear some really sad stats? Yeah. Because <laughs> I just, for whatever reason, felt like making myself sad and, yeah. and looked these up. But, uh, in August this year, he's slashing 274 batting average. Mm-hmm. 383 uh, uh, on base percentage, 368 slugging, so that gives you a 751 OPS. Yep. Not terrible. That's um, yeah, kind of like uh, Tory Hunter. <laughs> with, with one home run yeah. and nine RBIs. Now, backtrack to last year, 2013, his August mm-hmm. performance, he was hitting 356 yep. with a 1,162 OPS, 11 home runs, mm-hmm. and 31 RBIs. That's an amazing amount of production to lose. Yes, it is. So, yeah. it, so you look at those kinds of things and say, how, how are they even winning games right now? Yeah. You know, with the starting rotation being sort of riddled with injuries and, and, and Miggy not being Miggy, you know, it's it's amazing that uh, but they are only a game and a half back right now. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but when you look at a list like that, I have a, I doubt there's many teams, especially um, contending teams in Major League Baseball, who would have an easy time overcoming that. You're going to struggle when you lose, you know, three guys out of your bullpen and two of your your best starters are uh, are have been hurt, and obviously the Cabrera stuff is is huge because. No, other than uh, Victor Martinez, no one really hits for any power on that team. So, uh, yeah, it's just staggering to think about just how badly this team has been crippled. And maybe that is an indication in a backwards kind of way of, of how good of a team they really are. Mm-hmm. Because if you compare this to, say, the, the Texas Rangers, who have yeah. been similarly, you know, just riddled with injuries all season, you look what happened to them. Yeah. They, they sank like a stone. Exactly. You know, into last place, or they're, if they're not there, they're real close to it. Um, you know, and, and the Tigers have, have weathered this storm and still remained either in first place or, you know, within a couple of games striking distance. So you, you have to imagine, you know, for people that are saying, well, the Royals are just really good this year or whatever, yeah, that may be true. But give me the Tigers in 2014 who are, you know, healthy and this maybe wouldn't even be really much of a, you know, this, this wouldn't be a competition at all. Yeah, yeah, and the Royals are very healthy right now. They really haven't had any of much of the adversity that the Tigers have had to deal with. You know, it's... Uh, really, it's uh, everything is breaking the Royals' way, and and I guess in a way you could say they're, they've been due because that's a team that has struggled for decades. But it's as a Tigers fan, it's really frustrating to see this team essentially trying to win the division with one hand tied behind their back. Because I think that's yeah. what the injuries have done. Yeah, and it felt very much that way last year, uh, right around the beginning of September. Yep. Um, but at least at that point, it was the you know beginning of September. Here you're almost to the end of the season. They had a pretty comfortable lead. They played crazy good ball in August, mm-hmm. and you know it's, just, it's happening at the wrong time now. You know to realize that they're they're really struggling to stay in contention. Yeah, I guess so, the hope is is that the Royals have peaked too soon. Yeah, um, I don't know how much stock you put in that. I yeah. mean. It's not that they're an awesomely good team necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're a pretty adequate team, but again, people have pointed out. You look at their upcoming schedule, and it's it's kind of a cakewalk. Exactly. That you know they get to play you know Cleveland and Texas, and uh, they're going up against the White Sox and more White Sox and more Cleveland. You know, it's like they they, they have a pretty easy ride from here to the end. Yeah. And they're yeah. not dealing with the uh, the amount of double headers that the Tigers are dealing with either. Yeah. So they're not having to pull, you know, pitchers from the minor leagues to come up here and get rocked. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's not it's not all things equal at this point. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to uh, kind of segue into the pitching. Uh, you know, as we've been playing beat writer bingo, the Tigers have been playing pitcher bingo, and you literally need a scorecard to keep track of what's going on right now. Robbie Ray uh, has been a huge disappointment when asked to step into the rotation his last few starts. He, I think he's pretty much out of the question at this point. Uh, Buck Farmer came back to earth after his one decent start, and he's just been pounded at every level ever since. 
Uh, Kyle Lobstein, though, has been a surprise. He is impressed in his two appearances, Hook Slide. Uh, his first career appearance was a wild one in that it was, I think it was a, the bl- a blowout loss in Minnesota, and yet he was able to uh, toss five and two-thirds innings in long relief. He threw 100 pitches in relief wow. to save the bullpen. But then his start on Wednesday was actually pretty darn solid. He went six innings. Uh, gave up two runs in a game the Tigers won in walk-off fashion. He didn't get a decision, obviously, because he only went six. But at the very least, Lobstein looks like a guy who might help them, again, tread water for a while, more so than what Ray or Farmer have been able to give them. But it goes to show, Hookslide, just how they've been scrambling is that Lobstein, after yesterday's uh, victory, uh, he got immediately sent down because the Tigers had to help bolster the bullpen, and they had did so by calling up Evan Reed, who, with him, you got to wonder if he was really, really, uh, I guess the way to put it is below average to just playing bad right. at Triple A Toledo for two months. But you got to wonder if if the, uh, the the sexual assault case was playing on top of that. Because in August, he's been very, very good, 1.50 ERA and a .83 whip in 12 innings. So... But the way things are looking right now, Lobstein is going to return next week when he when another when his another start is needed. But here we go again in that another of those damn doubleheaders is coming up tomorrow, and they're calling up lefty Kyle Ryan. Uh, he's 22 years old. At Double A Erie, he was well not very impressive. 7.10455 ERA in 126 innings. But he's been very good at Toledo. Uh, 1.64 ERA in 33 innings. But it's amazing to me, Hoaxlide, that we're talking about Robbie Ray and Buck Farmer and Kyle Lobstein and uh, and tr- Kyle tr- Ryan, for Christ's sake. Oh, and this is a team that, you know, that traded for uh, freaking David Price, uh, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like you said, how do you make up for, mm-hmm. you know, the loss of a pitcher like Annabelle Sanchez, like you said, probably for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, with Verlander on the decline with, with the core muscle, you know, problem. And then throw on top of that, you know, like I said, this incredibly hectic schedule and double headers. And, you know, it's it, the, the you can sign David Price, that's fine, but he can't pitch mm-hmm. two games back to back. You know, yeah. you still need to fill that spot every fifth day. And then throwing double headers on top of that makes it even more tricky. You know, so like you mm-hmm. said, we're seeing. Yeah, we, we, I think we've seen pretty much everybody in Toledo at this point, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just funny because remember a couple of years, uh, years, a couple of months back, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about that very issue and going through the list of pitchers and saying, you know, who could come up to the bullpen? Yeah. And uh, at that point, it was just names and stats. So we've actually yeah. seen, I think, seven out of the 10 guys that we talked about, you know, so. Yeah. But uh, isn't it interesting that, that, that we're going to see Kyle Ryan? Yeah. And not Robbie Ray and yeah, not exactly. Buck Farmer. Yeah. Well, I don't think Farmers is much of a surprise just because I think that was just uh, they threw something at the wall and it stuck for one game. But, yeah, the Ray uh, stuff, I really thought I, – I, re- I believe they thought Ray was going to be their number six starter this year, and he's just proven he's just not ready. Yeah. Yeah. And so now they're back to that, that same kind of, you know, like you just said um... – throw something at the wall and hope it sticks. You get Kyle Ryan up here, hope he can give you six decent innings like Lobstein did the other day and, and then move on. You know, there's only, yeah. there's only what, 30, how many games left? 32, 33, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So yeah, hopefully you can continue to tread water with your number five spot starters until something, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. looking for a starter. <laughs> you know, what's, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you know, and some of the things that they have thrown at the wall have have stuck. Like Blaine Hardy has proven to be a, a godsend to the bullpen. Mm, uh, absolutely. You know, but you know, some of the other guys they've thrown at the wall. You know, the Pat McCoy, you know, Chad Smith, Justin uh, Miller. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, even Jim Johnson, who's still with the team right now, but has really been up and down. Uh, you know, it's uh, it just goes to show that you know. You can, yes, you can overcome injuries, but uh, trying to overcome this amount of injuries to guys who really have put all your eggs in their baskets, I mean, that's, it's, it's just a hard, hard thing to do. And the fact that the Tigers are not, as you said, have not turned into the Texas Rangers, I really just, it, it gives them a lot of credit because people are pissed that they're not playing well, yet not taking into effect that, 
this is I keep saying it over and over. This is a crippled team. Yeah, I don't know what more you expect out of a team that's dealing with that many injuries, especially to starting players. You know, ones that you expected to to be there at the beginning of the season, like Dirks, like Iglesias, like Rondon. You know, that, that those are some pretty big big deals to to try and get over. So, you know, maybe that does expose a lack of depth. You know, maybe that does give some credibility to the people that complain about that. Um, you know, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe, like I, yeah. like I said, maybe that just shows, you know, that the fact mm-hmm. that they've been able to tread water this this long shows they're actually a pretty darn good team, better than we might have thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, uh, I just hope that there aren't any more. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, and uh, I guess this week, you know, just in the no, since we got to talk about the bullpen as we do with pretty much every damn podcast. Uh, the latest news at the bullpen is that obviously the Tigers were still looking for relief and that uh, they put in a claim on Astros closer Chad Qualls, who had been replaced on revocable waivers. Uh, when the Tigers, obviously the Astros put him out, put, kind of put him out there to see who they would get to bite, so to speak. The Tigers bit. Uh, and then at the point they bit, they had 48 hours to make a deal. Otherwise... The Astros just could just pull him back. Obviously, that looks to be what's happened because the 48-hour deadline passed and not a peep from either team. I think uh, uh, later on in that day, Brad Ausmus kind of said, oh, obviously the qual stuff, nothing's going on there because he's not here. So uh, that kind of leads to a question as to, one, why they couldn't get quals, and maybe it's because do you think they're looking for a starter instead because of the injury issues? You know, you'd love to have Patrick on the show at this point to kind of yeah. talk about, you know, some of the intricacies of how that works. Because mm-hmm. I understand that uh, now that he's been pulled back, you know, if that 48 hours is gone, yeah, he, he, he is, can't uh, be traded now. He, he's in the Astro for the rest of the season. Right. So was that a blocking move by the Tigers? I'm not sure who would have been next in line if they had passed on and i'm not sure yeah. if that's just a strategy thing I, I you know we didn't hear anything in that 48 hour period there was nothing said about yeah the astros are asking for this the tigers are willing to deal this so it, it, it was awfully quiet mm-hmm. and you know to your point maybe they were going down that path and then said you know whoops hold on we have a bigger need in the in the starter spot yeah yeah because uh names that have been thrown out there in, in possible in the possibility of wanting to replace Anibal sanchez uh the Tigers have talked about, at least they've been linked to uh, the Mets' Bartolo Colon and the Astros' Scott Feldman. The, I think the main reason they, the Tigers have been linked to them is they're reportedly available and both players had passed through waivers, so it would be easier to make a deal. Uh, the question is, the Tigers are going to make a deal. they got to make a deal really, really soon because they would, at least for... In, in trade, they would have to acquire one of these guys uh, by Sunday. Uh, that's the 31st. So uh, to be playoff eligible. Uh, obviously, when it comes to uh, this, you know, say they want to put one of the minor leaguers onto the playoff roster, the Tigers have no problem. They don't have to bring guys up on the 31st because of all the injuries. They can just do some shuffling that way. But I guess the question is, though, are you? Would you be willing to take on a Cologne or a Feldman, considering they're both owed a hell of a lot of money? Feldman's got two years left on his deal, and Cologne's yeah. got a year left. And that's the question, because uh, that's and and actually the same goes with Qualls, because he has another year in his contract. So even though his is a lot more reasonable, uh, I really think that the Tigers are kind of weighing the fact of well, if we go all in and maybe get one of these guys, that means we're stuck with an extraneous piece that we won't need next year. Right, and if you have to do that, then obviously Cologne is the one, you know, I, I would think anyway, it's, it's less money, would you say 11 million? 11 million next year. And only one year, you know, as yep. opposed to Feldman for two years. Two uh, years, 18. Right, so yeah. just just by by the numbers, you'd think Bartolo Cologne's the one to, you know, that you would want to go with and how funny would that be to have him you know in the in the postseason assuming we get to the postseason yeah. you know facing the a's ha 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 funny stuff <laughs> you know but uh it really is i think it's a balancing act there they have to mm-hmm. be asking themselves the question with you know 30 uh, 30 games and some change left can we still take the division do we really need uh you know to, to fill a starting position role in order to mm-hmm. to, to get the division title because obviously, once you get the division title, you're going to the four-man rotation anyway. 
Yeah. So, you know, does it make sense to spend 11 million, 11 million in another year for Cologne when, you know, essentially you don't, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to need that in September or yeah. October rather. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and that's, and that's, the, but then again, the, uh, the, uh, always you'd have to say is, well, look who the Tigers are starting this weekend. <laughs> Kyle Ryan. <laughs> and that, was, that might make stuff. the 11 million worth it. So I, it's the double headers. So you just, you can't account for that little anomaly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. They've had what, three of them already. Yeah. And, and obviously two in two weeks. Right. So. Right. So it, that's just a weird blip. Does, you know, does that warrant actually signing on a full-time starter? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But what do you think? I mean, can they, can they still win the division even having to fill that fifth spot with, you know, rookies basically for the next four weeks? That's, and considering what happened in Minnesota when the Tigers had to go with uh, Ray and Farmer, uh, and it they ended up good. giving, yeah, it did not look good. That was, uh, I think that in a lot of ways for the fan base, that was the, one of the low, that may be the low point of the season when they got blown out on back-to-back games in, le, in like in less than 16 hours. By the Twins. By the Twins, oh, yeah, by the last place Twins. Yes. Uh, th- that's... You know, you know, that's where I start to think about, essentially, right now, every five days, the Tigers are just throwing something at the wall. You know, they right. don't have that league average guy. You know, they don't have, you know, even a Brad Penny. <laughs> you know, as much as we ragged about Brad Penny back in the day, Brad, a Brad Penny type would be a far better solution than what they're doing right now. And obviously, a Cologne is better than a Brad Penny type. And... You know, having Bartolo Colon, if they were if they were able to make a deal, I do think they probably would be able to make use of that guy next year somehow. You no, know, be it as the fifth starter, or or you know, you know, make him out, or you know, as possible as a trade piece. So uh, this, uh, I'm getting to what I, I'll put it this way: after seeing what happened in Minnesota, and not really th- believing and lobstering yet. And the fact that a guy named Kyle Ryan is starting, and no one, none of us know who the hell he is. If I, if I'm a Tigers and I can trade for a starter, I guess I'm going to do it. Yeah, I mean you make a good point because even thinking, I'm just thinking ahead to 2015, I, I think it's pretty inevitable that that uh, they're going to lose Max Scherzer. So I guess you do, mm-hmm. in a sense, you drop to a four-man rotation yep. by default anyway, and the, right. the hope of maybe Robbie Ray filling that spot is looking, eh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, it's kind of dim right now. Yeah, maybe yeah. he's not quite ready by next year. So mm-hmm. in that case, you know, having a Bartolo Colon, uh, you know, in that spot, like you said, one year left on the contract anyway, yeah. you know, maybe that does become kind of a smart decision not only for this year but also for you know for next year but hey like you said they've got until sunday so yeah. <laughs> if they're if they're gonna do this they need to do something quick yeah and uh and that's why i'm beginning to think because there really has not been you know even as close uh as close to the even though any cards dave Dombrowski has he tends to hold them close to the vest there's usually something out there being you know by one of the national pundits about a rumor and right now, you know, as much talk as there has been about Cologne and Feldman and the Tigers needing a starter, there has not been any concrete rumors essentially saying there's smoke and fire going on in the regard to getting one, which makes me think that maybe uh, I, if I was going to bet, I have a feeling the Tigers are just going to say, let's hope Sanchez comes back for the end of the season. Let's roll the dice and hopefully four solid starters can get us through the end of the year because I... As much as I think it's a good idea to get a cologne, they're they're going to be held over a barrel by the Mets, and and they're going to be a they're going to want a king's ransom for you know for all we know a guy who's 55 years old and weighs 300 pounds. Yeah, there is always that question of what you have to give up in order to get yeah. that extra boost. And to your point, it's a pretty good four-man set as it yeah. stands, you know, with mm-hmm. Price, Porcello, Scherzer, and you have Verlander at the at the end of that. Um, you can probably roll the dice and and yeah. hope hope to still take the division with that, you know, starting rotation going forward and and just count that fifth game as you know that's a coin flip every time. Yeah, yeah, and and I'll take a coin flip if I gotta start Kyle Ryan. So. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, and for all we know, maybe he'll be a breakout star. God, for, you know, who the hell knows? You know, it's oh, yeah, nice if it was happened, but yeah, they're, they're always great in the first start, and then everyone gets yeah. excited and says, "Yes, we found the new, you know, fifth yeah. starter," and then they get shelled. So we'll, we'll yep. see. We'll see how Lobstein performs in his next outing. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's you know, uh, God, let's just hope Sanchez gets healthy. But that, I think that that's the biggest fear hook slide is we brought up with Jason is that any of these guys who get hurt right now, they have no place to rehab other than with the team. They can't get any kind of game time because minor league season's almost over. Right, and that makes it even more you know critical at this point. So we mm-hmm. really cannot afford any more exactly. injuries because I think that would just I think they're at the breaking point now. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, uh, it would be I hate to use the cliche, but that's true. It would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, another injury to someone who gives them a lot of innings or is an everyday player, you know, no matter who it is, I think would be, abs- you know, it would be devastating at this point. Cause I really can't, this team is treading water and they really need to put together a winning streak, but it's kind of hard to put together a winning streak when you don't know who your starter is going to be every fifth day. I think that has something to do with a hook side, why this team has really not been able to put together anything longer than a maybe a two or three game winning streak because they've constantly had at least over the past few weeks they've constantly had to throw the rays and the farmers and the lobsteins out there and as you said it's a it's it's literally a coin flip and if and and as Jim Leland used to say momentum is your next day's starting pitcher and it's hard to develop momentum when you're talking about guys like that. And then you flip the coin over to the to the offense side, and yeah. even when you do get a you know beautiful outing from a Rick Porcello or a David Price or a Max oh, Scherzer yeah. holding the other team to you know one or two runs, mm-hmm. you can't do this with with your two-time MVP you know only putting up one home run and nine RBIs, yeah. as opposed yeah. to eleven home runs and thirty-one RBIs last August. And like we yeah. said, that's a huge drop-off in production. The offense is struggling, so there's just there is no uh, consistency on either side of this. Exactly. And as Dave Dombrowski said, uh, when he was asked about the offense and why the Tigers had, had were unable to get another bat, he just said, he was out and out put it, sometimes other guys got to step up. And for the most part on offense, save for Victor Martinez and occasionally J.D. Martinez, no one has stepped up on offense, at least not consistently. And you know they're feeling it too because both Victor Martinez mm-hmm. and Miguel Cabrera have said – you know, words along those lines in public interviews of saying, you know, Victor saying, you know, I don't want to strike out when I get up there. I, I know I need to knock in runs. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Cabrera saying, yes, I might be pressing a little bit, you know, because of the injury and realizing that I'm not performing the way I should be. I might be pressing. You know, uh, you got to believe that that's uh, part of the mindset right now, especially going into September with you know things going the way they are. Uh, you know, I, I just I think these guys are feeling it. They're feeling the heat. Yeah. And and just looking at the numbers of this team, I'd hate to see where they would be if the JD Martinez had come out of no. He came out of nowhere <laughs> right. to give up, you know, to put, you know, and he's actually picked up the pace. I know we. I said on the previous podcast that he's been playing more like a fourth outfielder, but he's picked up the pace in the last couple of weeks again to to where he's putting up very respectable numbers. His second half numbers are. Are pretty darn good at at the, uh, his splits right now. Uh, you know, I think over the past two weeks he's back to. Uh, you know, he's his OPS is pushing 900 again. So he went into a bit of a funk there for a while. But other than the Martinez's, uh, I really don't. And, and no one has stepped up. I mean, I think the biggest disappointment, if you ask me, has to be Ian Kinsler. Yeah, because yeah. he was marvelous in the first half, and if he even he doesn't have, he didn't you, you couldn't expect him to play at that level the entire season, but he's gone from playing like a, a very good Ian Kinsler to hitting like Andrew Romine in the second half, and that's 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 killing right. the Tigers. That right. really has. It's just like I said, there has not been any consistency outside of, you know, the, the big names. Uh, Hunter's been good off and on. You know, Kinsler's yeah. been good, but off and on. And mm-hmm. so it is. it becomes kind of a crapshoot every game to say who, you know, in the rest of this lineup is going to be the guy to step up. And, and yesterday it was, you know, of all people, it was Don Kelly yeah. uh, that was involved in scoring a couple of those runs. Alex Avila involved yeah. in putting up a couple of those runs. You know, so it's 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 a strange little thing that you know you have to rely on these guys to kind of piecemeal it together, um, but too too often the answer is nobody's stepping up. Yeah. You know, some days it will be uh, you know uh, Rajay Davis. You know, some days it will be Don Kelly. But like I said, most most of these games anyway. Um, I was looking at their uh, you know run scoring stats because uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
the point Patrick had posted this this afternoon that uh, the Tigers are actually first in runs scored yeah. since the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noted that there were they're zero and thirteen in games where they score two or fewer runs. Yeah. So they have yet to win a game, you know, this in the second half. Um, you know, where they, where they can put up two runs and make it they make it stand. So yeah. You know, uh, you just yeah you need more consistency somewhere in that lineup. Yeah, I, yeah, it's hard to. I really don't know where it's coming from because, at, again, injuries have forced players to be put in positions where they weren't expected to produce. Rajai Davis, I think, is the big one. He's pretty much become an everyday player because of the Dirks injury and then the trade of Austin Jackson. And he's actually, I, he, the Tigers have gotten far more than I expected they would have been able to get out of Davis considering his limitations against right-handed pitching. Uh, you know, this, so, and it's, it, but that's the issue is that Rajai Davis was not even supposed to play against right-handed pitching and because of how this lineup was set to go. And when, you, when you're playing Rajai Davis every day, when you're playing uh, uh, Eugenio Suarez every day, uh, uh, when, you're, when you're even forced to play Exil Carrera at all, uh, I think that's his volumes about this team's offense right now. And Funny place to be, isn't it? I mean, how, sure how, is. how good does Andy Dirks look right now, of all, of <laughs> yeah. all people? Yeah, you know? exactly. We ragged on him last year for being a, a very, very average, you know, mm-hmm. 240, 250 hitter last year. But, boy, that looks like a, a great alternative right now. Right to, now, exactly, because he, he, oh, he could have also played center field in the pinch as well. Right. All right, let's wrap up this podcast with a little Joe Nathan talk hook slide. Uh, oh, you think he's kind yeah. of making some peace with the fans? Uh, and Tuesday night, the fans were actually chanting, let's go, Joe, uh, before Nathan earned his 28th saves of the season in that 5-2 win over the Yankees. But also, I know you wrote about uh, him reading uh, hateful tweets as well. <laughs> That's good yeah. stuff. Jeff Rigger actually put that together, that video, and uh, mm-hmm. somehow MLB got a hold of it. So we found the video of him reading, you know, some of the choice mm-hmm. tweets that came across of, you know, Joe shouldn't be out here pitching to little league kids, even, you know, this yeah. kind of. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was kind of cool to see him uh, suck it up a little bit, you know, and, yeah. you know, crediting the, some of the tweeters saying, yeah, that's a good one. You got me on that one. And, you know, yeah. hey, you need to step it up. At least I gave you a chin flick, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Having fun with it is, is probably a good step because he really does, I think, you know, he, I think he wants to make peace with the fans. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. As much as we say they don't give a crap about what the fans yeah. think, I think they, they do. Um, and it's it's uh, it was most telling uh, the comment that he made after that night. Let's go, Joe. Let's go, Joe. Yeah. That, that he said he did stop and just started to take that in yeah. for a minute before moving on. So you kind of go, well, hey, Victor Martinez said it too yeah. in his his quotes the other week, saying, you know, we do feed off of that energy. Mm-hmm. And you guys come out here and, and cheer us on. You know, it does make a difference. So. I know it's not a quantifiable stat, but uh, mm-hmm. it sounds like you know these guys do uh, maybe play a little bit better, or at least are in a better position to to play better. You know when when they're getting that support, so it's good to see him. You know, making peace. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I know we said this before in a podcast, but this is obviously a guy who's never been through an extended stretch like this before in his life as a ball player. Yeah, so, it's, it's not going to help his, his curveball, but you know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a starting point at least. Yeah, you know, because he's not going anywhere, people. He'll be here next know. year too. That's right. So, that's right. So yeah, let's make peace with him <laughs> as well. Yeah, but uh, I think we all just kind of want the same thing. We want him to pitch well. He wants to pitch well. So mm-hmm. you, you can start from that and say, look, we're, we are on the same side with this. Yeah. You know, at this point, I don't even care if he's a shutdown closer. I don't care if, you know, if he turns into Jose Valverde circa 2011, I'm happy with that because that means he's getting out of trouble. So, you know, at this point, I just hope he's got it worked out. You know, I'm I'm not convinced that Joe Nathan will figure it out the remainder of this year. But at this point, he's what the Tigers got. And with the injury to Soria, and obviously the struggles anybody else the Tigers have thrown into that position have had, you know, Jabba Chamberlain, for example, uh, he's all the Tigers got when it comes to the ninth inning. And I just, I just hope that uh, both parties can maybe find a, a spot in the middle somewhere where at least they're not hating each other. <laughs> no, and, and uh, the fans that have said this, I think, are absolutely right. If he starts pitching better um, than he has been, there's, there's not going to be a problem. Exactly. They'll, they'll get and, behind him in a heartbeat. 
Oh, God, yes. And, and no question about it. All right, Hoaxley, let's start wrapping up this podcast. Uh, anything else you'd like to add before we call it an afternoon? Not a single darn thing. I've got to go coach a girls softball practice tonight. So. Oh, boy. i got to get my, get my bags packed and hit the road. All right. Uh, all I'm going to add is that, uh, just say this to Royals fans, Alex Gordon is not the MVP of the American League. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because I know you've heard, if you catch any uh, Royals games, that mm-hmm. they're chanting MVP whenever Gordon comes to the plate. And I'm sorry. A guy of uh, uh, an 813 OPS with 61 RBIs and 17 home runs is not an MVP, no matter how good he is defensively. And Alex Gordon is a great defensive left fielder. But he's a left fielder, again, you know. So uh, he's having a good year. And, yes, if you're in contention, you would hope you have an MVP candidate. Uh, it ain't Alex Gordon. No, I think there might be a couple people that are ahead in that race already. Yeah, exactly. Just just yeah. a couple. But yep. uh, it's, a, it's a, here's a funny personal story. My son hates mm-hmm. Alex Gordon. Really? Absolutely hates him. And it's mostly because of MLB The Show. Because he plays that baseball game, you know, on the PS3, and uh, his his character was up to the bat, ninth inning, two outs. He's the go-ahead run at the plate. He worked the pitcher to a 3-2 count and then hit an absolute bomb to left field. But Gordon stole the home run from him. So he has hated Alex Gordon ever since then. (laughs) And when he found out the other night that Gordon hit that walk-off home run, uh, he he was infuriated even more and said, See, I told you, I hate that guy. I hate Alex Gordon. So I'll I'll have to let him know that, uh, that the Royals think. Or at least the fans think that Gordon's going to be the MVP. He'll he'll appreciate that. Yeah, and you know what the other the other shocking thing I've just noticed is I just I brought up uh, Kansas City stats, you know, for this Gordon thing. Alex Gordon is the only player on that in that starting lineup who has an OPS over 800. Are you joking? I'm not. Uh, uh, it, you know, Salvador Perez is at 715. Eric Cosmer 689. Omar Infante 645. They got a bunch of guys in the six and seven hundreds, and then Alex Gordon at just over 800 at 813. Yet they're playing over 700 ball. When I look at the numbers and then look at their record, I I I've just suddenly decided that. That can't. That's not going to last. It's, it's, no it's got to be a fluke. I mean, yeah. I mean, a mixture of fluky baseball, but also, like we said, that they had just a very, very easy schedule right now. Yeah. You know, playing the Diamondbacks for crying out loud. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, no, there's, there's no way that's going to hold up. Yeah, exactly. So again, we, there's still uh, a little over four weeks to play, about a little over 30 games to play. Uh, again, a lot of baseball to be played, and there's still six huge games that the Tigers going to have with the Royals in September. So, well, my prediction came absolutely true. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, you know, we talked you and I and Kurt, and mm-hmm. I said on the podcast that it's going to be, it's going to be an intense season, and I think there's going to be a lot of ups and downs where the Tigers are in first, out of first, in first, out of first, and it's going to be a race right down to the wire. And so far, it's been exactly that. So uh, yeah, I will. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick your lottery numbers next if you want. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> all right, let's start wrapping up the show because uh, hopefully he's gonna buy us all lottery tickets. So um, and, and obviously he's got a big game to coach for. So with that, uh, let's start wrapping things up. So again, we'd like to say uh, thank you to uh, Jason Beck of MLB.com for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, again, we'll see you at this time next week. So until then, this is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck along with Hooks Uh Mystery guests next week. Which might be nobody at all. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and uh, again, just follow us on uh, online, and you'll be able to find out who we may have on the podcast next week. We'll see you then. <laughs> That'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.